Job Smith is about to enter the world of virtual reality. Ah, no, 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 Job, just relax. It's going to be like being up there with the stars, Job. Welcome to Line Noise, a podcast about electronic music. I'm Philip Sherburn. And I'm Ben Cordew. And uh, it seems like it was only uh, just about 12 hours ago we were on the dance floor. We were indeed, Ben. We, we were cutting a rug to some disco. And wasn't it great? It was great. It was great. We got to see DJ Thero play, uh, a Barcelona institution. Uh, do you know his? Do you know him? Do, have you seen him play before? I think that was the first time, actually. And I was very impressed. I really liked... Um, it was a really good mixture of music, and I thought he put it together very well. He mixed it in a kind of really quite interesting way. And I liked... Um, I don't. I don't want to get too uh, old school, but I, d- I do quite like the sound of someone mixing vinyl sometimes, and it going a little bit out of time. You know, it seems very, very much alive. He's very. I mean, disco is not easy to mix, and no. and he's very smooth. You know, it's like you didn't. There weren't a lot of train wrecks in there. You know, that that, that was as seamless as it gets for that kind of music. Yeah, it was great. It was really well mixed. This is actually the second time we've we've mentioned Thedo's name here on Line Noise. You may recall. Uh, he came up at the Barcelona independent label market. He's the one that's running that reissue label that was doing that weird 70s psychedelic proto-techno... That John Talibot had bought, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's... that's but he got the, the last copy. Yes, he did. <sighs> Bastard. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so Ben, I guess uh, we should move on to our first topic today. I've been reading a piece that you, an early draft of a piece you've written for The Quietus about virtual reality. Indeed. It's something I've been thinking about a lot recently um, and writing about a lot uh, as well. And what, what happened was, I mean, a few, uh, a few months ago, I had my first try on virtual reality. On, it was using Google Cardboard, which is like the really cheap uh, way of doing it. You can get these sets for about what, 10 euros, 20 euros. Download an app to your phone um, and you've got all you need to watch them. And I was really, really impressed. I mean, virtual reality is something that's been around for ages. You know, you remember, well, I remember certainly, you know, when, when I was a kid going to an arcade and seeing like a really, really prototype virtual reality machine and there was uh, that awful film. Wait. A, a prototype virtual reality machine in an arcade? Maybe I'm just imagining this. <laughs> <laughs> I seem to remember that. Maybe Norwich's arcades were very advanced at that time. But uh, maybe not. And there was the lawnmower man. I mean, the idea's been around for ages. But it was actually, um, when I when I first tried it out, and I thought, wow, this really is pretty impressive. And naturally, I wanted to see what musicians were doing with it. And you look around for music and VR, and... You've got uh, videos from people like U2 and Muse and Kasabian, Foles, um, bands that don't really interest me, I've got to say. Um, and But if you dig a little bit deeper, there's actually some really interesting things going on with music, um, with up-and-coming musicians, independent musicians, and electronic musicians as well, with VR. And I think that's far more interesting. Let's say that I have one of these Google, what's it called? Google, Google card- Cardboard, yeah. Cardboard, just like it sounds. Yeah. Um, so is it made of cardboard? It is indeed, yeah. It's sort of cardboard with plastic lenses. Uh, you strap your phone in. It's very, very lo-fi. You can see why they can sell it for. And, and you put this on and you see kind of dancing in front of you images? Is that? Yeah. Um, they recommend you put headphones on as well. 
Um, and obviously it depends on the video, but some of them, uh, you know, you can look around everywhere, see what's going on there. You know, everywhere you look is a different perspective. It's really, really, really immersive. Even this is really, uh, it's pretty lo-fi, you know, what you're doing, you're doing it on your phone. Um, even then it's really quite impressive. Like there's one video I saw, nothing really to do with music, but it's one of the New York Times videos. And you ascend into the, the the clouds, and then various things happen up in the clouds, and then you go back down again. And when you're going down into the streets of New York, you can really feel your stomach lurch. It's really impressive. So where, I mean, where do these, I don't even know what you call it, the videos, you, mm. these VR videos, where do they exist? Where, where do you find them? Well, typically, you have to download... Um, an app for everyone. I mean, the New York Times has has done a few. They've gone quite into VR. So they've got um, 10 to 20 VR videos, including there's a Run the Jewels one and there's a Sid the Kid and the Internet one. Um, the Square Pusher one, you have to download an app for that. Um, it sort of depends. I mean, Apple financed a few, like the U2 one is financed by, by Apple, as is the Muse one, I believe. Um, there's not for the moment like a platform where you can go and see loads of them it's a bit sort of piecemeal you have to go to various different places what's the square pusher one like well the square pusher one tragically i couldn't get to work <laughs> this is really <laughs> annoying me but i've seen the video in in 360 which isn't the same as vr but it's kind of close and it's for um store eyeglass which is i think the opening track of his of his latest album it's certainly my favorite track the one that sounds like uh, just like heaven if you know it Anyway, um, and it, you're basically you're on this. Someone described it as a drum and bass roller coaster. You know, it's really, really weird, and you're going in this weird virtual world. Um, and in 360 video, it's great. You know, you can just turn around and look. And I imagine it would be fantastic in VR too. But <laughs> I don't know if it's a design floor. I don't know if it's my phone. I don't know if it's the video. I cannot get it to work. So let's let's humor me and pretend that I don't know what we're talking about. Right. Because I don't. Um, what, 360 video, is that like the thing that Bjork did on that beach? Most VR videos, there's also a 360. And 360 is really close to VR. But the thing is, it's not immersive. You don't have that feeling of depth. Um, and you don't have to wear a headset. Like, you can just watch VR videos uh, on YouTube, which supports them. Um, and also it's a lot easier to do 360. But basically, 360 are the kind of videos you can look around pretty much everywhere. You can look up. It's like down. a Google Street View camera kind of thing where you can just pan infinitely. Yeah, yeah. But it's not, you don't strap it on. You're not totally immersed in the world, which you are with VR. And accordingly, VR is more difficult to make, a lot more difficult to make. So you, um, I mean, it sounds like, especially with electronic music, it seems like there's the, the potential for VR to really accentuate um, maybe the sort of synesthetic aspects of the music? Well, that is exactly what Ash Kusha was talking about. Um, he, uh, we're going to hear from him later, but he is doing what will probably be the first VR album. And I talked to him about it. He, he basically says that he has synesthesia, so um, he experiences music in a different way. And what he wants with this album is for us to go inside his head when he's making music. Um, and I think that's a fascinating prospect um, because, I mean, I really love his music. I think he's a very interesting artist. Um, the actual videos he's done so far, not 
the VR ones, I haven't seen them, but his videos are very impressive. And I think that his album could be a real step forward in, in VR. And we're talking about, you know, I mean, he he's not the most obscure person ever, but he's not that well known either. You know, we're not talking about a U2 scale budget. He's he's doing it himself with his mates. It's quite impressive. Yeah, I read I read some quotes from him in your article that he's just he's kind of coding these things himself. I mean, he's he's not relying on an Apple funded budget for this. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, VR can be really expensive to make, but um, if you are very good at coding um, and you uh, buy a few uh, a few programs like a few game engines that kind of thing you can fundamentally do it yourself i mean it's not easy by any stretch of the imagine uh, of the imagination but you can do it and that's what he's doing he's just working with his friends he's using these game engines um uh, to, to put out a vr album and so the visuals let's say for his vr album they will look like 3D motion graphics they will look like a video game graphics we don't know it could be it could be so many different things um i i would imagine um that it will be like being in his world and you see these different sounds as physical objects because that's something he's talked about with his music that he likes he he thinks of sounds as physical objects and that's the way he he works with them and that would make sense that kind of approach he also said there's going to be a kind of narrative aspect to it. Um, he's chosen the five songs from his album, um, I, a.k.a. I, that have a most sort of narrative thread. So it's going to be, there'll be a kind of narrative, but basically you're seeing inside his head. You're experiencing music in his way. What I think is potentially really interesting about that is, I mean, synesthesia on the one hand, it feels like if if you know if you have it or if you think you have it or have those tendencies on the one hand it feels super intuitive right like oh this is a spiky sound right. or this is a silky sound um but i suppose that it could be i mean it's it's got to be so subjective so what ash kusha comes up with could really for the listener and viewer could be a total surprise right i mean what to him feels like you know however his objects kind of look and feel they could be completely different for for the end user. So I, that that seems like really intriguing to me. Exactly. And I think this is what really intrigues me, particularly about electronic artists doing VR. That if, you, if you're a band and you do a VR video, the really obvious thing is playing live. And that's what loads of people have done. Like the YouTube video is them playing live. Um, Kasabian, it was them, yeah, them playing live again. Uh, the Muse one is slightly different, but that's what loads of people have done because it's the obvious thing. And that, sort of has its moments like i've seen quite a few um live music vr videos and they're really good but i think someone like ash kusha because it's electronic music you know what are you going to watch someone fiddling with a with a uh with ableton or something like that it could be a lot more interesting there's not that obvious image of a band playing live and that kind of forces you to think in different ways that forces you to think outside the box for want of a better way how to how to project your music and it could be anything because you're not really tied so much to the physical world you're not tied to someone playing guitar or, or bass so you can let your your imagination roam free it reminds me a little bit of uh, a release that came out on scam uh s-k-a-m the uh the the IDM label right. from they were from Manchester right they were yeah. are they Autica's label so somehow related to to Guestcom and all of that 
Um, it was an artist called Meme, M-E-A-M, and it was it was a 12-inch that then came with a DVD with these really amazing kind of computer animations. I think they did. They also did the visuals for Bola, right? And um, yeah, and it was really just kind of odd, cryptic, kind of collage-based imagery. I seem to remember um, something that was like a spaceship that was made out of flower. <laughs> Hold on, a spaceship that was kind of made out of flower petals, <laughs> wow. like stop motion animation, and it was really really neat. Um, we'll see if we can find uh, find a video of that and, and put a link up on our on our Facebook page. But but that to me seems like that kind of thing in electronic music is an antecedent to what to where VR could go. You know, these very fanciful images. Well, exactly, because electronic music. Um, a lot of acts already put a lot of effort into into their visuals. You know that that's a particularly good idea. But even going way back, um, I remember you used to be able to buy videos of sort of rave music. You know, with these weird fractals, all that kind of thing. And I think, if I remember rightly, Future Sound of London did quite a lot of of, of visual things. You know, back in the nineties. Um, and I think that electronic artists are really generally pushing forward the use of 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 visuals in music and also in many in many cases they're doing it themselves or with close collaborators you know because i have this one theory it may be maybe nonsense that because most electronic music is made on computers you know if you're sitting there for 12 hours a day on ableton or whatever it's not so much of a leap to kind of making your own visuals or something like that you know you're going to be you've got to be pretty computer literate so why not you know why not get into visual making because you're the one that knows what's going to go with your music. You said something interesting in, in your article towards the conclusion that you were looking forward to these VR albums because they could they could sort of lend themselves to to people actually immersing themselves in the music and not just putting the music on as a background thing, but really sitting down and absorbing the way, you know, back in the good old days, people used to sit in front of their hi-fi and listen to the, you know, listen to Pink Floyd's record. Yeah. Turn the record over and sit there and really take it all in. And this could kind of give people an excuse to do that, like unplug from everything else, get off email, put your headphones on, put your goggles on and just get into the album. Well, this is true because you can't do anything else when you're watching virtual reality. You can't see anything else. You can't hear anything else, you know? So you've got to sit there and listen to the music. Um, and I, I mean, I love listening to music while doing other things. You know, I, I, I don't often like, these days sit down just to listen to music, I have to confess. But I, I really like the idea of, of being almost forced to do it. And actually, one thing that Run the Jewels have experimented with is they did um, their video, their VR video, with a sub pack. So you wow, <laughs> exactly, that is intensely immersive. Well, exactly. Can you just imagine sitting down there with a sub pack strapped onto your back? You got your headphones. It feels like Killer Mike is sitting on you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think because everyone. That's what most artists want, isn't it? They want their music to be heard. They don't want it just to be a casual uh, accompaniment to, to doing the shopping, you know. And this is one perfect way to do it, I think. You mentioned that in addition to, to VR, there's uh, augmented reality, I think. Right. And these two different modes that you said are easy to confuse and people get mad at you if you confuse them, so I'm not even going to try. But they sound more like you're wearing glasses and you see what's happening around you, but then 
then images are sort of superimposed on yeah we well, you saw the world? magic leap uh article this week right? yeah that's what i was thinking about exactly well that's um augmented reality um because basically what it does is rather than immersing you totally in a world, it overlays digital information on you. So you could watch it while you're out and about. I mean, Google Glass was another example of this, you know, because you're wandering along and you sort of get your email notifications uh, in your in your line of vision. Um, and I was speaking to the person for this article. I spoke to the person, um, Peter Martin, who directed the Run the Jewels video, and he thinks this is going to be really big with music, you know, because you can go out and you can walk around. And that's how people mostly consume music these days. But, you know, you can imagine the possibilities. Um, you go into a bar with this kind of thing and up on the table pops Jeff Mills playing a, <laughs> a, a set or, or like a... He's mon- everywhere. I know, I know. <laughs> exactly. You, just play, you, you can see the actual table in front of you and Jeff Mills is there playing, you know? Or, I don't know, someone does does a music video and monsters start coming in from the actual window, you know, and crawling around your apartment, that kind of thing. Yeah, this Magic Leap model, which I, I don't really know much about them. Um, I know that there's a big piece on them in Wired, and I saw that they've kind of been releasing these uh, these videos that purport to show what their technology does. And, and in the video that I've seen, it's kind of a view of somebody's living room or bedroom and and first they're bringing up like kind of email windows and then there's like 3d kind of powerpoint presentation type things happening and then there are these jellyfish that just go swimming (laughs) through space and i was thinking that to me seems really potentially amazing like imagine sitting on your commute to work you're sitting on the subway listening to whatever you're listening to i mean i was listening to uh princes around the world in the day coming down here and imagine if there were some obviously it would be sort of retroactive in the case of that but imagine you know pop life has visuals and they're you know springing to life in front of you uh in the air that that sounds amazing or imagine um you're at a concert or a dj set or a club or whatever um and so everyone's wearing it and suddenly a whale comes in you know from stage left or something like that you know or, or or whatever you know um it's funny you speak you speak to well this was one thing i spoke to ash Kusha about about he wants to take elements of vr live and i was saying what you know everyone's sitting there in headsets he was like no 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 no. you don't why would you ask people to come to a concert to wear headsets which kind of makes sense i suppose um but i think the possibilities are there particularly with you know with, with ar as you say you know we're not talking next year but in 10 years who knows you know and for now we have holograms exactly <laughs> one other thing that uh i don't go into so much in the article but there was a, a recent um article by accelerator in fact in accelerator that talks about electronic music and vr and they talk about music production because a couple of people uh, are building music production tools for vr which essentially is like a sort of sequencer but you physically lay down the parts if you see what whoa I mean. so it's like minority report meets the theremin kind of thing a, a bit like that yeah i hadn't, hadn't thought of it that way um which i think is really interesting as well you know can you can you imagine the fun you would have grasping a kind of sample and sticking it on top of this ledge or whatever and, and or, or something like that you know making a track in this entirely different way well that's ultimately the dream right i mean that's kind of 
reactable is the name of it the those kind of cute the which actually comes fit. out of barcelona it does yeah pompeo, pompeo fabra. fabra exactly um you know and taking these 3d cubes and kind of stacking them in ways that create sequences and patterns so yeah if you could sort of virtualize that that that's just the next step in the same evolution and and another interesting one um harmonics who make um a lot of music-based video games they're producing um harmonics music vr uh, for PlayStation VR, and it's this visualizer, you know, the kind of classic visualizer, but in virtual reality. And you can actually go, we'll, we'll put up a link to this, you can go to their website and it shows you examples and any music you have on your computer, it kind of puts them through this, this well, it's not it's not VR for the moment, but you can see how it will be, this, this visualizer in this virtual world. It's really, really good. It's really kind of impressive, I think. I When you said visualizer, it reminded me of, back in, I guess it would have been probably the 90s when my parents got their first Macintosh and they had the, you know, the visualizer on iTunes and they would just sit there and stare at that thing. You know, and my dad was in his 70s, 80s by that point, you know, and, and yeah, it was, I thought that was kind of funny. But then my mom also had a lava lamp. So, you know, like, <laughs> there we they, they liked, you know, getting their perceptions twisted. Well, Ben, this is uh, this is all very interesting. Do you have kind of any any anywhere that we should go to to explore more about virtual reality? Because I I don't know anything about this stuff. Where would I go to to try and experience it? If I were you, I mean, you can check out uh, Square Pushers three sixty video for Store Eyeglass. You can go find that on YouTube very easily. That gives you an idea of what three sixty video is up to. Buy a Google Cardboard, really. Um, 10 euros, 20 euros, you can get one there. Um, and probably, well, if you can get the Square Pusher video to work, great. Otherwise, um, if you've got an iPhone, you can watch the uh, Björk video, which is a really good one. Um, the New York Times, as I say, has a few. If you download their virtual reality app, they've got a number of uh, videos there. But, um, and Melody uh, are going to be launching up a kind of platform for music VR. Uh, soon enough they say the first half of this year really though I think there's a lot more things coming Like there's not so much for the moment and that's kind of what I tried to get across in this piece that for the moment what there is is pretty good but like no one's claiming it's, it's, it's going to blow you entirely away I think but I think in a year that someone will have cracked it someone will have done a music VR video that's so good you, you, it just blows your mind we will uh, hold our breath for it. Um, ben, shall we hear your interview with Ash Kusha now? Let's do that. Sorry for the audio. It's, it's by Skype and he was in, in, in a cafe. But I think you can hear it pretty Technology. well. Technology. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, that, that's what, what mainly interests me in, in VR, which is the, the connection of music and visual reality. It doesn't have to be, you know, $600 headsets and U2 videos. It can be. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's more about the concept and how incorporating music, basically, yeah, how we can um, consume music with, with the headsets. Because I think this is um, a new thing that, uh, where, where people started using game engines to design videos. And, and they, they uh, started using FFTs, like this, the spectrum analysis, to, to trigger visuals with sound. Um, that's how everything I think started in, in terms of um, using music as as uh, as visual objects in, in, in a in a game environment. And I was actually 
It was last year that I went to a row of exhibitions in London. I started seeing like virtual reality products, basically experiences. And then there was one um, Canadian uh, product from from a university, I think, in Quebec, and uh, they did this documentary about a, a fantasy museum of like photography and, and like with different rooms. And and at that point, I, I noticed like th there was there was a big chunk missing and it was sound for me it was like all of these products they didn't have the, the right sound for for the, the 360 environment and and eventually i because my my method of music making is all, also based on um, sound objects a lot of like uh, molecular uh, treatment of sound and, and and i thought maybe there's a connection where we can actually translate sound objects and sound design and the processing we do we do on recorded sound into visuals and then we can we can have this environment where people actually can experience sound uh, w with a visual presentation like a fully audiovisual experience where you can ultimately not distinct uh, like you cannot separate the audiovisual elements and say which one was made first so yeah that was my idea and and I'm, I'm trying to develop that at the moment I'm trying with different people mainly with my video artist Hero mm -hmm. which um, who, who does my videos, my music videos? He, he's he's trying to uh, incorporate all the visual elements that we, we he has created for my music into the virtual reality space, but also trying to keep the the the, the musical value and, and the sound objects are going to be uh, precisely defined, redefined in a, in a visual way. When you first saw this and you first thought about doing something with your music, did you not think this is going to be incredibly expensive, there's no way I can do it? Or was, did you sort of just think, actually, no, I can see how this could happen if I, you know, if I do it this particular way, this is how I can do it, and it won't, you know, I won't need a, a £100,000 Yeah, it's true, one. because for, first of all, you, yeah, first thing that comes to mind when you talk about something like this is like, not, like, a, like a super advanced... Um, Visualizer is a semi AI application that can listen to sound and give you visuals. But when you uh, when you think about it, yeah, it's true. You you think about a team of hundred people in a game company trying to do something like this. But but what I'm doing at the moment, it was like I, I was so fascinated about this idea that I thought maybe let's do a prototype. Maybe maybe start using basic coding, basic uh, game engines that are available nowadays. I mean, it, it wasn't like this ten years ago. Mm. Um, so now you have access to a lot of uh, softwares like Unity and Unreal, and and you can you can make basically like high level Hollywood CGI with Houdini. So mm. it's um, yeah, there are ways around it. So I thought it's it's worth a try. It's I, I I'm giving it a shot basically. So yeah, it's it's definitely one of those things that ultimately can be a a, a huge um, expensive product to make, but. But I think it always starts from from a tiny room with 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 a few um, enthusiastic people who are in love with what they do. And your music is well for me. It's well suited to VR um, because it's very it's kind of very physical music in a way. You can almost um, see the blocks of sound, as it were. Did did you think that as well? Did. did I mean, do you think that's a fair way of talking about your music, a fair representation? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, the, uh, that's the best way to put it. It's physical music. It's, I, I treat sound as physical uh, objects. I, I, I feel like my, my sounds are 
they each each and every one of them they have geometry and, and, and physical value. And I think what is missing from from the consumption of this type of music is exactly the, 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 the VR experience. Um, it's basically what, what this this project is trying to achieve for me is to make people feel the way I feel when I when I create music, I see sound. So what if I I make something that 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 gives the opportunity to people to see the same, to experience the same. That would that would make a hundred percent translation of my thoughts into into something that people can can feel. You, you're sort of aiming to make a VR album, essentially. Yeah. Well, what's it going to be like? I mean, is it going to be your current music um, with VR videos? Is it going to be? Are you going to make different music from it? Uh, is it going to be? Yeah, so I'm doing a first single VR track mm -hmm. uh, to present at festivals. I mean, it's, it's going to be finished around summer, uh, first strike. And then the album is going to be basically um, 20 minutes selection of IAKI, my, my recent album, that mm. uh, came out a couple of days ago. Um, so it's going to be a selection of the tracks that I think are the most visual and they have the, the best potential to, to be in that kind of environment and in that kind of experience. And then... So you can select between tracks, but, but it has a narrative as well. So it's, it's like a journey of 20 minutes in, inside my head, basically, when, when I was making music. This is how I feel the music looks like and how you can, uh, how you can enjoy being inside of the sound, inside, of the, the, inside music, basically. Yeah. The, the initial release is going to be free. Um, the, the first track is going to be free. I, I believe um, this, this type of product... Um, needs to, to to be showcased as much as possible and people can can feel like they can experience this uh, in an easier way because now it sounds very complicated you, you, you need a headset and you need a supercomputer and most people that I talk to they don't even feel like they want to go and try it so we have to push push the boundaries and, and try to get it to people so first track I'm trying to get it out uh, as soon as possible so people can see it and then maybe the album it's going to be basically another format for record releases. It's not going to be a super expensive app or something. It's yeah. just going to be a normal um, musical release, basically, just in another format. And ha have you seen any uh, music and VR done well together that's inspired you? Uh, I haven't seen any any like records in, in VR. I've seen uh, like uh, people who do uh, DJ tools in, in VR, like the Wave VR. They're yeah. doing a, a DJ tool, and um, yeah, there 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 are a lot of musical visualizers. But I think a narrative animation type of thing, which I'm thinking about, is, I haven't seen anything. I yeah. have seen like 360 videos, which I think is not really interesting. I'm not really impressed by the 360 live videos of a band playing in, in the virtual reality headset. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say the, the, the few examples I've found, not all of which I've, I've seen, um, of VR videos. Um, there, Run the Jewels have done one. Um, the Internet have done one. There's a Bjork one. Um, and f for me, the artists I'm interested in, that, that's about it. Then there's there's a U2 one. I think there's a Weekend one. But you know, th there's not there's not many to be honest. Yeah, I think there are around ten to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen seen most of them, and most of them are a, a replication of reality that we live in. So I'm not interested. Yeah. To to, to see that, I, I really like to see uh, 
a, a virtual reality in its in its right sense, which is a virtual world. It's it's a reality that we cannot create in real life. It's what we want to um, dream of. So it's, it's recreating our dreams, our our most complex graphical, uh, uh, gen like graphically generated thoughts when when we're sleeping. So that's yeah. like, that to me. That's that's virtual So Ben, uh, this is the second time. I mean, uh, Line Noise hasn't been going for for that long, and we're up to our second um, memorial service here. This has been a, a bad year for for iconic pop stars. Yeah, we didn't even do Lemmy. Either. <laughs> um, <laughs> next episode, <laughs> Ace of Spades edition. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, Prince. Prince is gone. Still kind of trying to wrap my head around that. Um, just didn't see that happening in the slightest. No, it seems crazy, doesn't it? I mean, he was, what, 50... 57? 57, yeah. really young. Um, and from what I heard, very clean living, generally, you know. Um, seems a bit of a, a bit of a mystery. Also, I don't know, just it, a bit like David Bowie, I think. It felt that Prince would be around forever. You yeah, know, exactly. That he'd always be there battling with YouTube, putting out new albums, <laughs> playing great gigs. It just, he'd always be there. You I, know. Did you ever see him play? I did, twice, yeah. <sighs> When he um, he did a really long series of gigs at the the O2 in London, I think it was two thousand and seven. Oh, it was so good! It was unbelievably. I mean, he just played classic after classic after classic. The band were brilliant. His voice, I mean, it was exceptional. You you didn't see him? No, no, I've never seen him, and I always thought that I would. You know, I really always. I just assumed that at some point I was going to pony up the two hundred or four hundred dollars yeah. or whatever it was for tickets, and I really wanted to see the current, the, his last tour, the solo piano. I hope recordings of that surface because I mean, what could be more amazing, him and a piano? Like but that sounds like heaven. Did he do it in the end? I thought he cancelled it after the the Paris attacks. So certainly ah. the European leg. I don't know. I don't know. I could swear that I've seen people talking. I think in the States right. he may have done it. He canceled the European leg. Maybe that's it. Yeah. So, yeah. So so we were, you know, I was trying to think about Prince and his relationship to dance music culture and electronic music culture. I mean, obviously, Prince, in some ways, as much as anybody in pop, helped to bring electronic elements into pop. I mean, Prince sort of single-handedly popularized the Lindrum. I don't know if you saw that Roger Lynn yeah. <laughs> tweeted a you know sort of a thank you to to Prince the other day. Um, but then I was going through Discogs and I was going through obviously YouTube is of, of yeah. no help because the stuff's not out there. I was going through my own collection and I had a really hard time actually finding many many interfaces between Prince and dance music no it's a funny one because in a way um everything he did was dance music yeah, um sure. but uh in, in terms of what our sort of definition which is i suppose electronic uh music uh there, there isn't a great deal i mean I, I similar to you i had looked for prince remixes and there aren't all that many although you did introduce me to 
an absolutely outstandingly good Prince remix. Yeah, and I didn't, uh, I didn't know about. That. I don't even know where I found this. I, I just googling around, and Steve Silk Hurley did a mix of um, "Get Off" called the House Style Mix in 1991. It's brilliant. I didn't. I, I, I was reading. I was reading about it, um, and I think it was released on one of those, you know, f- four track CDs. You know, back in that day when everyone would release like three CDs with a single, and you know, it was like track four or something like that. But oh, it's an absolute classic. And you can get it on iTunes. I actually bought it from iTunes today. Um, it's. I've been trying to figure out because I recognize elements of it. There's that flute riff. And some um, some of the spoken word stuff, and I can't figure out if he was sampling, if Steve Silk Hurley was sampling the Jungle Brothers. Is that possible? It's possible. I don't. I don't know. Or because it's it's 1991, and the Jungle Brothers, if I'm not mistaken, the like their first album's 89, 88, 89, even earlier, maybe. I don't know. Maybe 87. But I think I'm thinking of back. The Forces of Nature, which is their second album, which would be, I think, still 89, because that's like my first year of college. So anyway, I, I'm trying to figure out where the flute melody comes from and some of the other bits and pieces. It's one of those songs, it's funny, that, that because you can't find Prince on, on YouTube, or you can't find much Prince on YouTube, um, that... Uh, you haven't heard that much of this song. I think if you could find it, if people knew more about it, people would be talking about this song everywhere because it's a, it's such a good remix and it really, um, I mean, Get Off is, is is a great song anyway, but this makes it about five times better and it's it's kind of joyous, you know. It's the kind yeah, of thing yeah. you want to listen to, you know, rather than sort of moping around. <laughs> um, I think that if more, I mean, maybe not lots of people do know about it. Maybe lots of DJs were playing it at the weekend, but I don't, I don't get that impression. No, I, I don't know. It doesn't seem, I feel like people would have been talking about it on Twitter. You, right. I just haven't heard reference to it. Right. Um, there, I was, so in my research, I was, I turned up a few other things from the same period. I know that apparently William Orbit remixed the future in yes. 1989. I can't find that. No, that no I tried to. Um, and then, from 1989 also, um, Mike Hitman Wilson. I don't know who he is. <laughs> he makes was. hits. He makes hits. Uh, he did a remix of Bat Dance called Bat Dance, Batman Goes House, Mike Hitman Wilson remix that came out on DMC in 89. You know, DMC, the yeah the DJ battle company and the chart, DJ chart company, right? Um, and it's really good. It's uh, it's on YouTube as of I think yesterday. Right. We'll see how long it stays up there. But if you can find that, that's I mean it's it's very much of its era. You know the kind of like new jack swingy house beat and it's really cool. But talking of the future, you also found um, a crack boy take. I on did the future. In, yeah, um, crack boy of course is Creecore out of Paris. Um, he does a lot of really good edits and. Uh, this I don't know when this one came out, but uh, it's I great. It really is. Um, it's kind of quite true to the original, but just making it more uh, more futuristic, maybe more kind of dance dance friendly. Let's take a listen to the uh, to the crack boy Back to the Future edit, and, and we'll hope that uh, that the bots don't find out and take us <laughs> Please down. Please don't.
in in other Prince edits, uh, Luke Solomon has a really nice one of all negativity bows. Yeah, yeah, which is uh, taken. Well, it's an edit of the song "Strange but but True." Okay, um, exactly. And again, he does it really. He just teases out the sort of dance floor from it. Uh, it was available as a free download. Again, another song. Another song that I would expect to hear quite a lot on dance floors if people know about it. You know, if people want to play something by Prince to a kind of tribute. Then there are just some some weird ones out there. Like uh, on Discogs, I turned up a Rune Lindbake remix or Lindbake. I don't know how you say his name uh, of the future that came out on some uh, like major label compilation. Um, According to Discogs, Art of Noise has a track called Kiss Haitian Vampire Mix on a drum and bass album. Yeah. And according to Discogs, uh, Prince is credited as the writer. I can't hear anything of the original Kiss in this song. Maybe there's a sample of the funk guitar. Um, the, we'll post a link to the to the YouTube because it's it's up on YouTube. But, yeah, that was a weird one. And then there's Bob Belden Project, which is this kind of acid jazz thing on Blue Note. Also not super good. Um, (laughs) Sounds awful. But did a cover of of Kiss. Uh, And then we're getting into, um, I mean, we have to talk about Moody Man as well. Well, Moody Man, he's always um, cited Prince as an influencer. And I think a lot of those those Detroit people do. Um, And uh, his track uh, you can dance if you want to. Um, is shall we say very much inspired by all the critics love you in New York. It's funny. I actually heard you can dance if you want to before I heard all the critics love you in New York. And it's one of those moments when I, I love Moody Man. Don't get me wrong, but one of those moments when when you hear the original, you're like, okay, <laughs> right, because he's pretty much just put together a few loops from. Uh, all the all the critics love you in New York uh, and loop them. It's great. It's a great track. It's a great track, but its uh, its impact diminishes somewhat when you hear the original. Well, it's an edit, right? I mean, it's made to DJ. You know, it's it's made for his sets in some sense. Yeah, and in, and in the sense that he he always says he just makes music for him for himself. You can imagine he loves that song. He just decided to you know loop some bits of it, um, and it was really good. And then there's another Moody Man song that sort of indirectly references Prince, which is J-A-N, which samples an electrifying Mojo interview with Prince, but then mutes Prince's speaking parts. And so it becomes this sort of, it's as though electrifying Mojo were addressing Moody Man. Yeah. And it's that's quite interesting as well, because I was reading about Prince today, and he banned um, interviewers from... Uh, recording him after a while because uh, early days a bootleg circulated of of an interview. So apparently if you interviewed him, you couldn't record him. You couldn't even take notes for a while. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how you... Do you just have to remember it all or something like that? It sounds insane <laughs> that that's how all these like weird stories of prince get out there, <laughs> exactly no? like... i think he said it yeah i forget the full story behind the the electrifying mojo interview but i think i want to say that prince just called up the station and i think that he and mojo kind of had a relationship and or knew each other but i i believe that he just called up the station and mojo was like oh we've got the purple one here and and so anyway, so that's why, you know, what was it like growing up in Detroit and then all of these yeah. things about 
kind of his working method and his creativity. And I've, I've always, that's always been probably my, my hands down favorite Moody Man tune. So when I discovered that there was a Prince connection there, I, I, I loved it even more. Too right. And do you think we're going to see a lot more um, sort of re-edits, remixes of Prince in the coming days? Or? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I was I was searching Twitter just trying to find. I figured that if there were a lot of good remixes out there, then people would be posting them on yeah. Twitter. You know, I mean, iconic ones, not new right. ones. And it was really funny how many people were saying, if you love and honor Prince, don't do a crappy trap edit. <laughs> oh. There were dozens of people like, just do us a favor. They're like, play trip. Play Prince in your DJ set tonight, but please don't remix him. You don't need to do that. So, I mean, I kind of hope there's not a lot of tribute edits because there's not a lot of people that that should be doing that. I mean, I would love to hear, like, Des Andres do something with Prince. And who knows? Maybe he has sampled him. I mean, he he's amazing. You know, Moody, yeah, Theo yeah. Parrish, people like that. Um, but I don't think we need a lot of... Uh, a lot more. What I would like to see, I would like to find some of the classic remixes bubbling back to the surface um yeah so that people can actually listen to them yeah, oh totally and one thing i would um very much like to see released in any form is what is essentially um a daft punk remix of of raspberry beret which uh, I, I was tweeting about on uh, earlier this week um i call it a daft punk remix i mean i don't know that for sure but what happened was um I went to see Daft Punk play in January 1997, around about when Homework came out, and this was at um, Bugged Out in Manchester. And um, the set was absolutely sort of banging. Lots of really, you know, hard, like Detroit techno, Chicago, that kind of thing, lots of jacking tunes. And it, it, was, it was brilliant. And then at about one, one hour, one and a half hours in, they just played Raspberry Beret. And... I remember because I, I I was a really big fan of Raspberry Beret when I was younger, you know, and but I probably hadn't heard it for a few years. And I remember when they played it, everyone just went mad. And I remember thinking, I can't believe this is Raspberry Beret. And my my memory of it was that they pretty much just played Raspberry Beret. But I've actually been looking up at this, and there's um, the set's actually on uh, YouTube. You can hear the whole set, and I thoroughly recommend it. And what they do is they play. I guess their remix, their edit of it, or something like that. You know, they they um, loop certain bits. They put a sort of thumping kick drum underneath it. They filter it, and it's really, really good. And I'd love to see that sort of get more of a proper release. That must have been such a strange thing. And you said '97. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, Raspberry Beret. That's I think '85. So like 12 years after the fact, a tune that most people would have probably really forgotten about for the most part. You know, I mean. Well, for me, it was weird, like, you know, because hearing this, this thing that I used to listen to on cassette with my sister, you know, that, that, that I had on, like, now eight, nine, <laughs> I don't know, and that I hadn't heard in so long, and then, but it just made me realise what a great track it was, and from then, um, I used to play it quite a lot when, when I DJed, you know, I, I just copied them, basically, <laughs> I didn't have a, a fancy version of that, but I used to play it quite a lot, and it went, it actually fits in really well into a kind of a house set, it's got... Um, really good drums. Actually, drums that were later sampled by DJ Mehdi on a track. Um, and it, you know that those that violin line it works really well. Do you have a favorite Prince album? <sighs> That's really difficult to say. Probably Parade. I don't think I know Parade. It is. 
Um, it was a film soundtrack, I believe, and the the film itself isn't that great. Oh, I haven't seen it, but people say it isn't that good. But it's it, the, the soundtrack's fantastic. So, what's your favorite Prince album? Around the World in the Day. That's a great album. Unreservedly, it's. I don't. I. I can't even say why it is. This. I'm looking here, and it, yeah, it came out in '85. I remember my eighth grade graduation rehearsal. I had just gotten this cassette, um, and if I remember correctly, it was right around the time that, and I'm really dating myself here, but that cassettes uh, they started manufacturing major label cassettes in all clear cases. Before that, the the back of it was generally black, you know the yeah. the, the the clamshell whatever you call it, and then. Prince, uh, Around the World in the Day, I'm pretty sure it was the first one I had that the whole case was clear. And some, I don't know, to me, I just thought that was like the most <laughs> amazing thing in the world, especially with this album with the, you know, with the super colorful cover and everything. I remember sitting in the rehearsal in the auditorium for my eighth grade graduation, and I remember pulling out the, the, the insert card and unfolding it and reading the lyrics. And I even remember the smell I don't know if it was the plastic or if it was like the printing, the inks that they used, but it had a very specific, almost like a petroleum smell. And I just thought it was divine. And I, I, I think I was sitting there, if I remember correctly, I was kind of <laughs> huffing this cassette in the auditorium. Oh, dear. Oh dear. <laughs> I'm, I'm amazed I didn't get pulled out and sent to the principal's office for, you know, huffing inhalants or something. But yeah, Around the World in a Day is by far my favorite album. I mean, the the title track, um, The Condition of the Heart is, to me, just one of the most amazing songs ever written. I did a mix um, years ago called Yellow Day Mix or something like that, a mixtape, that I used Prince's Condition of the Heart and then Suzanne and the Magical Orchestra's cover version of the same song. Um, Tambourine is the most insane funk song ever written. Uh, it's a perfect album. Well, you see, I, uh, as I said, I used to um, play Raspberry Beret when I DJed, so I always had a copy of this album um, in in my bag, as it were. Um, and I always thought, maybe I should play something else. But then I always just reached for You Raspberry. always go yeah. to the same one. It's really, I don't know, and then Pop Life, again, I, I like I said, I listened to it on the train coming down here today, and it's just every song is perfect. And to me, it's like... I don't know. I mean, because I, I, I had 1999 and Purple Rain, and then this came out, and it was such a different sort of register. It was psychedelic. It was the sort of fourth world thing, the finger symbols, the... Uh, funnily enough, I was reading um, someone talking about Prince Day, and they said that, this, that, that they, they really don't like that album. In fact, they don't like that album. They don't like Parade. They don't like the, the, the two, our, our two sort of favorites, because they are a bit... They're both a little bit different. You know, um, they both sort of see him take a slightly more psychedelic direction. I think if you're just a fan of his, his sort of funk stuff, maybe maybe you don't like that as much. I was I was thinking, and maybe it's because there's the goth on the cover of Around the World in a Day, which is super weird. But I feel like this album must have been a huge influence on Robert Smith and The Cure. Because it was after this that The, the Cure started going in their own much more psychedelic Direction, and by the time they get to "Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me," they're using a lot of the same sort of ideas and and tricks in their own way. And I don't know. I mean, this is just my totally half baked <laughs> theory, but it's I suspect I like that it. Robert Smith was a big around the world in the day fan. <laughs> Mm-hmm. 
So Ben, I guess it's time to move on to our recommendations for the week. Right. If, if our listeners can peel themselves away from Prince. <laughs> Hopefully. Um, what, what have you been listening to? Um, the first thing that I've been spending a lot of time with is an artist named Kilchhofer. Uh, and he has a new record coming out on Marionette. Marionette is a, a label from uh, Toronto. It's a vinyl-only label, so the only way to get their records is on wax, although they have they do put some of their stuff up on YouTube, uh, and we'll post a link to, to the YouTube clip of this song. It's called Lefu. Uh, his name is Benjamin Kilchoffer. He also records as Timoka on Holger mm-hmm. Records. Holger is... Uh, Sort of a kraut rocky left field house, left field techno label. His previous stuff has been a mix of sort of quirky house techno, kind of a border community vibe, and psychedelic synthesizer stuff. But this record is all, uh, it's kind of like rhythmic kraut rock meets like rainforest sound effects, um, weird time signatures, and lots of strange polyrhythms. Uh, very kind of fourth world tribal. Uh, I mean, there's bird songs in it. I love music with like bird calls in it, and uh, yeah, it's 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 great. It was recorded live, wasn't it? I believe he. I, I don't know if it was recorded live, but I think his process is he works with modular synthesizers. He sets up these sort of um, evolving uh sequences you know and then he just sort of jams out on them and then he he edits that down right. and d- layers some synths over the top actually um i was listening to this earlier and it, it made me think about vr just to sort of go back to that briefly because this is the kind of music would be perfect vr because it really for me anyway it really creates this this world you know it's, it yeah. makes me think of like being in a jungle or something like that you know and i could just imagine how well this could be with a with a VR experience. Well, it's it. funny because uh, Ali, who runs the label, he describes it as a living system which breathes and evolves, which really kind of, you know, expresses the same sort of idea. It's this thing that you 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 immerse yourself in, you walk around in. It's very spatial. Perfect. Well, let's listen to a little bit of it. What is floating your boat this week? Well, I'm going to go for something very, very different. Um, you, you've got uh, a slightly cerebral idea. I've got something that just makes me want to dance, basically. And um, it is Good Thang by Floor Plan. Um, Floor Plan, which is Robert Hood uh, and his daughter Lyric Hood. Um, and Robert Hood, as you know, the man who invented uh, minimal techno. And Floor Plan is his alias in which he makes more... Uh, house music. He he basically takes his production approach um, that he uses his sort of minimal uh, techno approach, and but use, uses sort of house disco samples. Um, this is his second floor plan album, and it's a really fun album. You know, you know when sometimes you just want something that makes you, you just hear something that just makes you want to dance. You know, or makes you sort of work quicker or makes you wander around town quicker this is that i mean i i 
no word of lie, I was listening to this while, while, while working from home. And it got to about, I don't know, four o'clock. And I was like, wow, I've done loads today. Why? <laughs> and I suddenly realized it was the floor plan album. Um, and um, again, I think, I think Robert Hood maybe is kind of quite um, a serious reputation. But this album is fun and funny. Like there's, um, there's one track, uh, Sun in the Sky, in which he samples um, that Todd Terry hit, Jumping. And he really just takes it to that. He just he just concentrates on a few samples of it and just really intensely gets into them. And it's a brilliant bit of music. And there's another one called Um Hmm, uh, which sounds a bit like hip, you know hip house. Um, but uh, the track that I want to highlight um, is, as I say, called Good Thang. And the reason I really like this is it has this really funny kind of vocal sample or, or, or mix of vocal samples. It sounds like uh, that it's basically from a marriage counselling session with a reverend. Okay, you can't quite hear what they're talking he about. He is a reverend, you know that. Is he? Yeah, yeah. I did not know yeah. that. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, it's a reverend position. I think a reverend's an honorific, but he is a, he's a pastor. I didn't know yeah, that yeah. at all. Wow. Um, so maybe it's him. Who knows? But th- there's basically these people and they're um, talking... But you can't really work out what they're saying, but it doesn't matter because what the small phrases become like a chorus and the way he puts the small phrases together is really clever. So it's like, it, it's not like a sort of MK in which the words are cut up very into sort of individual words or sounds. There's actually short phrases of which one is, is good thing. And he makes like a really brilliant, weird chorus out of it, you know, of out of people basically kind of arguing. With the Reverend, from what from what I can make out, I might have interpreted it wrong, but that's pretty much what it sounds like. You know, there's there's one going good thing, and there's a and going hey 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 Reverend, <laughs> and it's it's so it's so funny. It's it's it, it's like an earworm, even though you can't really say what they're saying. I was really surprised hearing hearing both this record and that particular song. I mean, I think again of, of Robert Hood, even his floor plan stuff as being much more sort of linear and a little bit somber. And I mean, the, his last album had Never Grow Old, which is such a moving, you know, really emotional uh, song. And it sounds like he's having a lot more fun on this one, which is which is nice to hear well, for change. One thought was, and this might be utter nonsense, but maybe having his daughter with him has kind of uh, made him uh, sort of explore the fun more in music. I don't know, or feel, feel the fun. I mean, it's, you know, we both we both have daughters. Imagine having them in the studio. I mean, they're a bit young for the moment, but it must be a pretty amazing experience. How old is his daughter? Do you know? I don't know, actually, no. I mean, is she like a kid or is she like a teenager or an adult? I've seen a picture and she looks, I'd say, 18, 19, okay, okay. something like that, you know. Um, and I think, I think she's touring with him, so she's got to be, you know, quite old anyway. Uh, well, let's listen, to, uh, let's listen to a little bit of Good Thang. What's your next selection? 
Yeah, my next track I brought in is, uh, it's called Curl, and it's by Beatrice Dillon. Uh, it's from an upcoming 12-inch on Chloe Frida's Alien Jams label. Chloe Frida has a show on NTS, also called Alien Jams, I think. Uh, the splits between Beatrice Dillon and Karen Guire, both sides are, are excellent. Uh, and Beatrice Dillon's track is, is it's, it's different than what she's been doing with uh, Rupert Clairvaux. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's in a similar vein. She had this really fantastic record with him last year, um, something studies for drum machine, I think. And there were all these very minimalistic kind of percussion and drum machine studies, very short tracks, like a minute or two, um, like analog drum machines, kind of untreated, um, really hypnotic. And, and again, this sort of like futuristic tribal vibe and she's doing something similar here it's these sort of herky-jerky movements and these rubbery pings a lot of overtones and harmonics lots of empty space and yeah it's just it's it's a it's a very odd and unusual sound and um i find it very captivating not a million miles away from the killshopper track either i would say no similar ish yeah i mean i really i like things that have that kind of percussive really heavy on timbre maybe like more yeah. timbre than than melody um and she and rupert clairvaux have a new album coming out on two changes uh called two changes on a label called parallax editions which is actually a barcelona label i did not know that me neither until i went to the uh band camp page to order the record and it's similar to the last one except this time it's like two 20 minute tracks one of them has pocket trumpet on it has what? this kind of like noir vibe and it's sort of Sorry, yeah what's a pocket trumpet i think it's a small trumpet okay Fair <laughs> makes I, sense. there's another name for it as well i just saw it in the credits and it, yeah it's this kind of tinny muted trumpet sound that gives it this very film noir kind of vibe and um yeah and they're sort of long evolving sort of ambient techno soundscapes and it's really cool shall we listen to it yeah so we're gonna listen to curl off the alien jam split trumpet in your pocket <laughs> or are you happy to see me uh ben is that a <laughs> is that a trumpet in your pocket or do you have another song for us here <laughs> well i've got another song that's just as exciting as a as a trumpet in your pocket uh, i think um it's by dva sometimes known as scratcher dva um and he's got a new ep called take it all on hyperdub and the real standout track for me um is by it's a collaboration with with simbad You'll be delighted to know it's billed as DVA times Sinbad. I know you don't like say <laughs> times, Ben. Don't say times. Just say X. Just say X. DVA X Sinbad, um, and it's called Soundcheck. And I, one of my real weak spots is uh, really weird drums. I really love weird drums. You know, cut up or or something that doesn't sound right or weird time signatures. And this is a a, a great example of weird drums. It's sort of. It's somewhere between an electro beat and a drum kit falling down the stairs. And it, it sounds like it's going out of time. It kind of 
almost wanders out of time but just keeps it in there and it's got a great beat and like th- they control it really well as there's there's one bit where you know they kind of give the floor over to to what sounds like the drums falling down the stairs and they kind of pull it back and then they put this sort of soul sample in the middle and um it's just quite unique i mean i love i love scratch dva generally i find he's one of the producers that does that uk bass if we want to call it that he does it, but with more of a sense of humour, you know? Like, there was a track of his called Jelly Roll a few years ago that I loved, which was, it sounded like a sort of computer game track, but, like, really fun and, and melodic. Um, and Soundcheck, I think, is, is, is very much from that, uh, from that stable. You know, it's, it's experimental, it's a bit strange, but it's kind of fun at the same time. I mean, it, it almost sounds like an experiment, you know? Like, it, and, and they were just like, okay, well... Why not? This actually works. We can really dance to this. Exactly. I've tried to dance to it, sort of, you know, in the privacy of my own home. And yeah, you can. <laughs> Could is there a, a video clip of that or anything? I don't think there is. No, I think, I think, think, think you can hear it on SoundCloud. Oh, I meant you're dancing. Oh my dancing. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, let's take a listen to uh, Soundcheck. So Ben, uh, bonus round. You've you've got one more recommendation for us today. Exactly, um, and uh, it is a track that uh, for our, our iTunes not swearing uh, label, we'll call uh, "Where the Cluck Are My Hard Boiled Eggs." <laughs> <laughs> what a name! By uh, Max Grafe and Glenn Astro. Um, it's uh, coming out on Ninja Tunes soon, I believe, and um, it's. Kind of house music, but it does something I really like with house music. It sounds both um, quite rambling and quite precise, if that makes any sense. Yeah. It kind of... Uh, it, they, it's not like a long track. It's not rambling in that sense. They, it's, you know, it's about five minutes long. Sort of long. like our podcast then, rambling <laughs> yet precise. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but it's really funky. You know, it's kind of loose, but really funky. It, and it sounds like house made of weird, weird elements. You know, it doesn't sound um, doesn't sound like a lot of things out there. I mean, maybe there's a bit of that sort of Detroit sound, that kind of slightly dirty sound. That, can, but it, yeah, it doesn't sound like many other things. And I know very little about them. But you, uh, you saying you? Well, you I get know? a sense that he's a real digger. I mean, I, I, I Which know one? He, uh, Max Grafe. I, Glenn Astro, I know zilch about, but I know that um, Max Grafe had a funk band. That put out something, I think, toward the end of last year, or earlier this year, that was this very sort of retro, funk, full band kind of thing. Uh, and his productions that I've heard before now have all, again, been very, like, somebody that's got a lot of Chicago and Detroit records from, from like, the late 80s. And did you have a listen to this one? Yeah, I did. Uh, I think it's great. It reminds me a lot of um, Seven Davis Jr., it, so it doesn't yes. entirely surprise me to find out that it's coming out on Ninja Tune. It seems like they're really going for that funk sound you know the real squelchy keyboards um and and stuff it it reminds me too of a not exactly but like pal joey 
you know, again, this kind of like late 80s vibe. I mean, it has scratching in it, you know? It's yeah. like, when's the last time you heard a, a new house track with scratching in it? I am a big fan of scratching in house tracks, I must say. It's something I really, really like. Non-house tracks have it. Maybe I, maybe I like it that much because because not many tracks have it. If it was like a cliche, I'd be quite annoyed by it. But it's something I, it's a sort of noise, I think, where it works really well with house. Another thing I like about that is it's sort of got these... Um, the keys that are kind of jazzy just sound a little bit off, you know. Yeah, just like yeah. It doesn't, it's almost like they don't quite go, but they do because the whole thing works really well. Well, you're—I mean, I know you're a huge Peppy Braddock fan, and so it doesn't surprise me that you like this as well because this definitely comes from the same universe. I think exactly. It's kind of wonky, jazzy. <laughs> If it reminds us of Seven Davis Jr., that almost takes us back to Prince. Yeah, you're right. In fact, it does bring us back to Prince in a in a very literal way because Seven Davis Jr. covered Controversy back in 2013. And it, what a great cover it was! Uh, it's it's incredible. I mean, it's 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 uh it's very much Seven Davis Jr. style. This kind of bedroom funk, you know, like a little bit lo-fi, multi-track vocals. But it still really has the spirit of the original. And I think um, LCD Sound System covered Controversy at Coachella uh, this weekend. Interesting. I'm not wrong. Funnily enough, I wonder if we're, uh, that's something we're going to see this, this summer. Will bands be covering David Bowie, Prince, Motet? Just all, <laughs> all sets of David Bowie and Prince. Uh, well, maybe we should end this episode then going out on a little bit of Seven Davis Jr.'s uh, controversy, which you can get for a free download on uh, his on the Iswid Bandcamp right now. So we'll post a link to that as well. Perfect. Um, and don't forget, scri- uh, subscribe, um, write us reviews on iTunes, follow us on Twitter, uh, at Line Noise Pod. And even, do you know someone sent us an email? I, was I did so not know pleased. that. Yeah. Line noise podcast at gmail.com. I thought I'd actually got it wrong in the last podcast. It turned out I'd got it right. <laughs> yeah, somebody actually sent us an email last week. I was so incredibly pleased. Um, line noise podcast at gmail.com. Um, and uh, recommending a mix of Japanese music, one that you, uh, I believe, are a fan of. Uh, the Fairlights, Mallets, and Bamboo. Exactly. That, yeah. that is one of my favorite mixes of all time. There, there are two of them, in fact, by DJ Spencer D., uh, and um, yeah, we should we should maybe try and get him on the show sometime. I know he's he's involved in some things. He's got some projects coming up, I believe, this year. Uh, and I, I'm not going to say any more about that now. But there's going to be more uh, Fairlights mallets and and bamboos coming from him soon. Brilliant. Well, if anyone, um, we love getting music recommendations, so do please send them, tweet them, however you can. All right. Thanks, everybody. This has been Line Noise. Bye. Controversy, and I'm black, white, and I'm straight, okay. Controversy, and I'm black, white, and I'm straight, okay.
Do I believe God? Do I believe God?